Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. It's great to see you today. It's great for all of you. Glad you're joining us online, but I got to say, I love seeing your smiling faces and uh, getting fist bumps from whoever wants to give a fist bump. So we're in a series uh, walking through the Bible uh, from cover to cover uh, called One Big Story. And currently uh, we're seeing a remnant of Israel in its darkest time in history. While various prophets are speaking God's word to them, uh, they're being conquered and they're being deported in waves to a foreign country. Now, if you read through the prophets and you examine them, you can kind of make a scale of social acceptability. Maybe some people do for which prophets you do. So like, on the one hand, you have the nice guys like Micah and Isaiah, who you'd love to have over for dinner, and it'd be really fun and enjoyable to have them there. In the, in the middle, you have got people like Jeremiah, who, you know, we talked about last week. He'd be really interesting to have at dinner, but he might cry in the middle of it while he's telling you some really uncomfortable stuff, and maybe that'll create a little bit of an awkward moment for you, but, but he'd be great to have at dinner. And then the far end of the spectrum, you have people like Ezekiel, who we're talking about today. He's one of the prophets who not only spoke God's word clearly, but in some cases, in order to get the message across as God commanded him to, he did a form kind of almost of street theater in a sense. He would actually act out and behave in some weird, bizarre ways uh, that were like parables to communicate what God's message was to the people. And so some people looked at Ezekiel and said, well, he's just a little bit crazy by some of the things he did. Yet God spoke really powerfully uh, through Ezekiel, and I think he wants to speak to us really powerfully through him today as well. Now, Ezekiel would have been a young man training to be a priest when God called him to become a prophet. Uh, He would have known uh, Jeremiah, who by this time would have been very old, uh, who we talked about last week. Ezekiel was about 25 uh, when, when, uh, when he was taken captive along with one of the conquerings and exiles to Babylon and, and all that invasion stuff. And Ezekiel and the Jews at that point found themselves dumped in a foreign land in a kind of a refugee camp just a few miles outside of Babylon, not speaking the Babylonian language, no friends, no rights, no, they're cut off from their homeland, they're separated in many instances from family and friends. All the while, they know back in Jerusalem that the Babylonian army, if they hadn't already, is destroying their homes that they left, causing the Jews to have this prevailing sense that God had abandoned his people for their sins. And they might have even been questioning if somehow the gods of Babylon were stronger than the God of Israel because of what had happened. It was just really, really dark days. So five years later on, Ezekiel's 30th birthday, the, the age, it, he would have been installed as a priest. Uh, he has a vision where he sees this cloud and these strange creatures with wings, and each had four faces, and then he sees four wheels all supporting this divine throne. It, and, and in the middle of it, it's like this, this human-like creature sitting shrouded in fire on the throne, and Ezekiel realizes that what he's seeing in this vision, he says, it's the likeness of the glory of the Lord, of God. It's God and his royal throne. Now, 
This word glory in Hebrew is, is a word kavod, and it just communicates that this, it's just this weighty experience, this weightiness of a physical manifestation in a sense of God showing up in a really special way to us. It just carries this power to it. That is, and what might, this, this it might be really shocking uh, as a part of Ezekiel's vision. The, the, the shocking part is that the question, what's God's glory doing in Babylon? Because by this time, he's no longer in Jerusalem. We'll talk a moment in a moment about how his ministry started in Jerusalem. But now he's in Babylon. And, and what's, what's God's glory doing in Babylon? I mean, for the Jews, God's presence is supposed to be in the temple in Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. And again, God shows that he's in, in, in so many ways throughout the whole Bible. But in this instance, again, he shows that God is not just trying to reach Israel. He's trying to reach everyone. His presence is everywhere. The book of Ezekiel begins with God speaking to Ezekiel from his throne and commissions Ezekiel to be a prophet to Israel. And I can't imagine that being an easy call. I mean, I don't think any of us would have wanted to volunteer for that. In fact, it may have even been more difficult than than Jeremiah's call. He does some unlikely things uh, to help people understand what they're now experiencing uh, is the consequences for continually rejecting God. And even more difficult, Ezekiel had the challenge of confronting the false hope of the false prophets. The false prophets were all declaring, everything's going to be okay, the exile will be brief, God is going to turn the tables on the Babylonians and quickly deliver us. It's kind of like this: the sun will come out tomorrow type of song and dance and it'll all be better. Maybe... Maybe God came to Ezekiel in such a weighty way in his glory because Ezekiel needed to know God in that way. And, and you see all throughout his book that, that he writes that he reveres God. In fact, he uses the term sovereign Lord somewhere around 400 times in his writing. In other words, God, the one who is king of kings, who is unmatched in his glory and power. So the first chapters of the book of Ezekiel show how Israel's sin led to great social injustice and violence and and it reaffirms that there will be waves of being conquered and of judgment and of being taken into exile from this place. Look at some of the ways God asked Ezekiel to bring attention to that message. Ezekiel at one point, he eats a chunk of the Scriptures. Now remember, this is parchment, so this is leather. He eats a chunk of leather on which the Scriptures are written to illustrate that the Word of God is sweeter than honey. He cut off his hair with a sword. Sword. I wish you saw, who of you saw Jeremy got a big haircut. I wish we could have saved his hair today. Uh, I mean, used it as an illustration. He cut his hair off with a sword and he burned a third of it in the city center. Then he placed one-third outside the city walls and struck it with a sword. And then the final third he tossed into the wind symbolizing various ways destruction is coming and how the people will be taken captive and scattered. The most extreme act was when Ezekiel laid on his side for 390 days. I get tired after about an hour or two. Don't you have to switch sides all night long? 390 days. One day for every year the house of Israel had been disobedient to God. And then he flips over to the right side and lays there for another 40 days. And there's various interpretations of what that 40 days signifies. All during this time, he was eating bread cooked over burning poop. You heard me right. Poop. As a Jew of priestly line, doing this was something that was forbidden. 
It was unclean by God's command. So Ezekiel talks to God about his concern in Ezekiel 4, and God reassures him that he can cook the food over cow dung instead of human dung. I mean, yeah, what a great relief, right? By the way, there's actually a recipe that some people have gotten out of the book of Ezekiel for Ezekiel bread. That's where that comes from, right? So we were at Costco, and we bought some Ezekiel bread this last week, and I... Wendy said I couldn't call the manufacturer to find out if it was cooked properly over over human dung or cow dung. I just couldn't. She wouldn't let me do that. Ezekiel's act of eating in this manner was symbolic of the desperate time to come, of starving, of cooking with whatever they could during the Babylonian siege of Israel and Jerusalem. So what is God wanting to communicate to the Jewish people through Ezekiel, and, and how does that apply to our lives? Well, after a year, about a year after the first vision, Ezekiel has another vision, and he sees the Jewish people uh, worshiping idols both inside and outside of the temple in Jerusalem. The vision ends with God's chariot leaving the temple and going east out of town. So what is God sharing in this vision? It, it, it's, it's about how Israel so violated their covenant with God that, that they've driven them away. And now he's left Jerusalem. But there's also tremendous beauty and significance that we often miss in that vision. A lot of people think, well, God abandoned his people because of their sin. But God didn't abandon his people. He exits the temple and he goes east, east toward Babylon, east into the exile where they are going, where some of them have already gone and where many more are going to go in the next few waves. God is going before them even in the painful consequences of their sin. God goes before you as well to be there for you even when you reject Him. He's going to go to where you're going to be next because He wants to be with you. Even though judgment has come, crushing the abundant false hope of the false prophets, God is wanting to make sure that Ezekiel declares to Israel the real hope that God has for them. That destruction has come and is coming more, first to Israel and then to the nations around Israel. The exile, I mean, think about it. The exile was the most horrendous catastrophe that happened in Israel. And it raised the big question of whether God was done with Israel for good, whether he'd given up on them. But Ezekiel spends the rest of his book on the hope for Israel and the hope for all nations. The hope for Israel begins with God promising that there will be a new David, a future messianic king is going to be the kind of leader that Israel needed that that they never got in the past. Under this new Israel, under this new king, this is what Ezekiel says will happen in chapter 36. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This promise builds on the promise Moses spoke at the end of Deuteronomy that we looked back at a while back where God says he's going to remove their hard hearts. 
He's going to send His Spirit into the people to give them a new soft heart that they can love and obey God with then. But before Ezekiel has this vision, God tells the people that despite murdering people in worship of false gods, despite the oppression of the poor, God is going to restore and heal the people. In fact, in 36, 35, it gives this staggering promise that He will restore everything again to be like Eden. In other words, a full restoration of the land, of the people, of the heart, of everything back to the way God originally created it to be in perfect goodness. And how is this going to happen? How are we going to get there? One of the main visions God gives powerfully extends the idea of God giving us new hearts and a new life. It's found in Ezekiel 37, and we refer to it as the Valley of Dry Bones. So imagine if you come on a hike across a huge pile of bones. What would you think? These bones, these skeletons are dead. They're never coming back to life. I mean, that's probably what you're thinking, right? Imagine being there with Ezekiel when God gave him this vision in Ezekiel 37. So so imagine being there. And it says this, The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. It's a vision of Israel. It's it's the dead people of Israel from being conquered and all those who have died physically and, and died spiritually due to worship and the rejection of God. A vision of death everywhere. And God asks this question, can these bones live? And then it goes on and says, I, Ezekiel, answered, O Lord God, you know. Well, Ezekiel's like, well, only you know, God. I mean, it's not really doubt or unbelief necessarily in Ezekiel's response. He's just deferring the question back to God. He's saying, what, you're, what are you planning to do, God? All, all that I see is death. So, so what's the answer? What do you plan to do? And then, and then he, God, said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and, and cause you, flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. You shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel goes on and says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And as I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So let's stop there for a minute. Can you imagine the sights and sounds of of this moment in this vision that God is giving him? Standing in the middle of all these dry bones, hearing the rattling of bones, kind of creepy, right? Watching bones move across the ground and reconnect with the bones that they were separated from. Bones are moving and rattling and you're watching sinew and muscle and tendons and organs. All these bodies are being put back together right in front of your eyes, Ezekiel's eyes. They're not breathing, but they're all back together. So God instructs Ezekiel, he says, Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so he goes on and says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet an exceedingly great army. 
So God tells Ezekiel to declare once again, these bones are to live by speaking breath into them. Now this Hebrew word translated breath is ruach, which means breath, but it also refers to the Spirit of God coming upon us and into our lives. In that moment, they all breathe and stand up, filled with God's Spirit. These bodies become alive. It's this stunning vision of what God wants to do. It's resurrection. Ezekiel gives the interpretation of what's going on in verse 11. He says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do this, declares the Lord. Can you imagine the moment Ezekiel describes that vision for the first time to the people of Israel? The Jews are very aware of the state they're in. I mean, yes, our bones are dried up, they're thinking. Our bones, our hope is lost. We are cut off. We are cut off from God. We are cut off from help. We have no help, no hope. They're in exile. They've lost loved ones. Their homes are devastated. They think their lives, their nation's life is over and there is no hope. I've got to think many of them probably were thinking, please, Ezekiel, don't give us any more false hope. Don't don't tell us this if it's not true. Don't jerk us around with this kind of news. My heart can't handle it. I can't handle being disappointed anymore. So don't raise hope in me that's just going to be dashed. I think many of us have felt that way at one time or another. Maybe some of us feel that way in an area or maybe about life in general right now. You, can't, you feel like you can't afford to hope again. Yet God gives them this vision where He says, I've got resurrection power. I am the God who can pull bones together I can breathe life into that which was dead. I can make bones rattle. I can make people breathe again. I can bring hope and life into anything, anything that's dead and beyond hope. I'm the God who restores hope. I can do this. So imagine yourself, you and God in this valley of dry bones. And he's asking you the question, Do you think these dry bones can live? What's your answer? So before you give that answer, I want you to see one more thing because I think it might help flip everything on its head still for us. God says, I want you to understand what's driving all this. In the previous chapter, God tells in Ezekiel 36, He says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my name, great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations, he, he repeats that, right? I mean, we lose hope so often because we feel like, well, we've messed up so much. And God speaks back to him and says, yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. 
but I'm going to do it anyway. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So if you continue in this chapter, you'll see I will statements all over it. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He continues this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Verse 32, it's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. In the previous verse, God lets them know he's doing this so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. God repeats himself in 37, 13. He says, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from the graves, O my people. And in the next verse, God really wants them to know how much he's there for them. He says, uh, he, he is their God. He is the Lord. He says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do this, declares the Lord. So God wants them to know, I have resurrection power. I have the power to redeem. I have the power to take what is dead in your life, what could never come back to life, and I can rattle some bones, and I can open graves, and I can do it because I am the Lord. And I want everybody to know that. See, God is the best thing that could ever happen to you and to me. He is the Lord over the grave. He is the Lord over life itself. So back to the question that God's asking each one of us today. Do you think these dry bones, the bones that are all around you in your life, can live? For some of you, the bones are that you feel dead spiritually. You just, you just feel distant from God. You don't feel like He's near. You don't feel like you have any power, like He's acting in your life. Maybe you've never followed Him. And, and whether it's the first time or the 50th time, you know you're dead without Him. And you might say, I'm standing in this valley of all kinds of death and failure and I need God to rattle some bones and, and bring life. And God raises each and every single one of us from a place of darkness and gives us a new heart if we want to have Him do that when we simply say to Him, Lord, I believe You are Lord. I commit my very life to You. I commit this next step of my life to You. I need Your forgiveness. See, some of you need God's Spirit as well to come in just to an area of your life and speak life over a dream or, or something that's dead in your life, some place where you can't seem to steal hope for your life. But others here long to see God speak life over all the places in our world that's just going so crazy right now and it seems like there's death and destruction and anger everywhere around us and you just want to see life and peace and goodness come into those places. I mean, this has been such an extraordinarily difficult time with all the pain and unrest and uncertainty. And we haven't really heard great news for a long time. You might feel like we've just been going and doing things, just going through the motions, not knowing what to do to make things better. We need to see life again. See, I'm grateful we landed in this part of the Bible right now because no one ever really preaches that much on Ezekiel, but, but I especially resonate with this whole breath and God, of God coming into life where it seems hopeless and evil and dead. I mean, it says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. 
And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. He's not leaving anything to chance. He's covering, he's restoring absolutely everything in these lives. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. We want to take some time here as we as we worship, to, to practice what God is asking Ezekiel to do, to speak and to pray life into our lives and into our world by using a song. Without knowing it, both Jeremy and Wendy both ran into the song that you're going to hear now. It's a new song. It's based on the vision of Elijah, and it was actually just newly released during this whole COVID crisis. They both sensed God was wanting us to use this song to help us engage more in how and what he is doing right now in this season. So we're going to sing it. We're going to do something different today. We're going to create some space during the song, and Jeremy and I will help lead and give some prompts for, for each one of us to declare life over those, area, over, over those bones that we see in our lives or all around us in the world, to just be bold with him and declare life. So again, what dry bones do you see? Ask yourself that question. What dry bones do I see around me? Is it something in yourself? Is it something in your family? Is it something in your job or our country or our government? Where has hope died? God has called us to this time. He's asked us to declare His heart over your situations, over your job, over our community, over our nation, over our world. We are not weak and small people. God has called us to believe in the impossible. We stand and believe that God can bring dead things to life. I mean, that's the normal Christian thing. Christianity, Christians, followers of Jesus, believe in resurrection power that Christ can bring that kind of power over serious issues in our world. I mean, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he literally deauthorized the devil, taking his authority away. And Jesus left his disciples so that the Holy Spirit could come to us and live and breathe life into you, and the Holy Spirit could work through you to breathe life into the world around you and to people around you. So let's stand, let's worship God, that God would change that which the enemy has been using to tear down our country, our world, our health, our economy, our families, our friendships. And let's declare God's life over every situation that seems dead or without hope in our world today. Lord, I just thank you for that dream for all of our lives. That you pour out your spirit in that way to breathe life to millions and millions of people around us. And Lord, millions, it's not an overstatement. You've sent your spirit to us, your church, your people, to declare life and bring life and bring blessing wherever we are. So church, I just commission you into that. As we go this week, expect the Spirit of God to converge in your life, to not only bring freedom to your life, to bring life to the dead places of your life, but for you to bring life to people around you.
Not because you're good enough, but because he says, I will do this. I will glorify my name through you, my people. He owns you as my people, and he says he will do it. So have a great week. God bless. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.